talk is going around, we haven't figured it out yet. Um, I, I think that's why we, uh, we, we're missing a few folks today. Oh, thank Josh. You had a man. Okay, now last week it was too, it was a little too low. Is it already going? Yeah. Okay. Okay, higher up on my thing. You start putting these in there. Like here? No, just below the button there. Like right, like right there. I think that'll work. We'll see. We'll, I'll just talk really loud. <laughs> All right, we're in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. We've been journeying, traveling, uh, working our way through the book of Matthew. And um, over the last several weeks, we've been in the beautiful, sweet, magnum opus of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. It's an, it's an incredible distillation of Jesus' teaching. And uh, so the last couple of weeks, we've looked at his, the way that Jesus corrected misunderstandings about the law. He comes in, Jesus comes in and he says, look, I have authority. I am God. I want to teach you. You guys have, you guys have gotten some stuff wrong. You have, you have not properly understood the law of God. So he says, let me show you the real intent of the law. And he's going to do the same thing with, quote, acts of righteousness today. We're actually going to skip over one because we're going to dive right into prayer. But Jesus says, look, your practices, those were, that's, that's what you're thinking is wrong-headed about the law. He's like, and guess what? He's talking to the Pharisees here. He says your practices, your acts of righteousness, the way you live out your Christian faith is also wrong and needs to be corrected. So we'll see that in, as we dive into his correction about prayer. So we'll start with verse 5 because we're going to, like I said, we're going to jump right into the prayer part. Um, so we'll do... Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so ends the reading of God's word. We don't, unfortunately, have time to do the entire Lord's Prayer in one week. So we're going to break it up into three different, uh, three different sermons, three different teachings about the Lord's Prayer. And the first one today, what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at what does Jesus teach prayer is not. 
Because that's the way he starts. His preface to the Lord's Prayer is, do not do these things. Beware, danger, avoid these things. And then we'll get into the very, very first part of the Lord's Prayer, and that is, our Father in heaven. We'll dive into that. So those are the three things we're going to look at today. What prayer is not, and what prayer is. So, by way of illustration, this is what prayer is not. just want to give you some visual clues. This is not prayer, and this is not prayer. What, what is this? Somebody help me. It's a stormtrooper. Yeah, it's a stormtrooper. So, if I put this on, hang on a second, let me get, let me see if it, there's a little stick on here. Okay. Now, okay, exactly. Now, I just, it's a quick question for you this morning. Am I a stormtrooper? No. See, yeah, but do I look like one? No. Oh, come on. Come on, give me a little bit of credit. Yeah. I'm trying here. I kind of look like one. I kind of look, I don't look as tough. I mean, I admit, I'm, I'm much flabbier than your typical stormtrooper. Um, so in other words, what I'm doing right now is I'm acting like I'm a stormtrooper. I'm faking it. I'm pretending. But here I am. See? Right back like that. I don't know. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so this is number one thing that prayer is not. Prayer is not a technique where we pretend to relate with God. And secondly, prayer is also, and we'll dive into that more fully in just a minute. But prayer is also not this. What is this? Yeah. What do you use a screwdriver for? Fix. Yeah. Fix things. Yeah. It, it has many purposes. You could also use it to stab. I mean, admit it. <laughs> but we're not. We're not going on. I don't know. My brain's a little extra. Yeah, but essentially, what do we call this thing? A tool. A tool, right? So that's exactly what Jesus is teaching this morning. Prayer is not a tool to get what you want. Now, let's start with the technique. What do I mean when I say prayer is not a technique to get something for ourselves? Well, let's look at technique first, right? Okay, so I, I did a little study. How, how many of you have ever acted before in here? We've got a few. Oh, okay, we have a few testians. Um, I should have gotten you up here this morning, but I'm going to do my best. So... There's several different schools of acting. And, and when I say schools, I mean sort of the big time. Like the schools that people like Marlon Brando went to, or you know, Robert De Niro, or Clint Eastwood. One of the most famous is the Strasbourg School of Acting. Have you heard of this one? So the Strasbourg School of Acting was very important at the turn of the century. It all came out of Russia. And this guy named Stravinsky was the one who got a lot of these schools started. But Strasbourg sort of took his teaching to the next level. And here's how it works. Well, I'll just give you an example. <laughs> Romeo, Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? Okay, that's called deadpan. Right? Now, Strasbourg School comes in and says, listen, what you need to do if you want to be a really good actor is you need to dig into some emotional memories from your past. Okay, so so I so I I, I would the best thing for me to do would be to go, okay. I remember what it was like to break up with a girl. You know, I remember those, those painful feelings. I remember that hurt, that sense of loss. Romeo! You know, see, see how you get into that? Romeo! Wherefore art thou, Romeo? 
See, I tapped. That's the Strasbourg School. You're welcome for these tips, by the way. If you become famous, I get a cut. That's the Strasbourg School. Now, right uh, kind of shortly after him, there's a whole separate school called the Adler School. And the Adler School said, no, that's kind of sick to tap into your own past hurts and use those on the screen. So really what you need to do, the Adler School said, you need to use imagination. Everybody's been given an imagination, we would say by God, of course. And not only that, everybody's been given independence, meaning you're, you're your own unique person, right? So that's what you need to tap into. That's what the Adler School said. You need to tap into your independence and your imagination. And then, so basically you take, you know, you take Juliet sitting up in her... Uh, her little, you know, I don't know, tower. Where is she in this play? I don't even know. She's in a tower, we'll say. And, you know, Romeo's looking up. And you can put yourself back there, can't you, a little bit? You can think of the ivy growing on that building. You can think of what maybe Juliet looked like. And I'm using my imagination a little bit. And then all of a sudden, on top of that, I'm Nathan. Right? So how would I relate to Juliet? Romeo, because I'm, I'm, I'm insecure. Romeo! Wherefore art thou, Romeo? So there's all these different ways that you can, and there's a last one, which is the improv school. Uh, big in Chicago, uh, and this is where you do a dialogue. Have you seen, have you seen the improv school? Where you, find, you sit across the center. Romeo, and then the other person will respond to you. This is what, who was just talking about this earlier? Chicago in the 80s. I mean, uh, preaching in the 80s. Romeo, and then you come over to this other side. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Those are techniques. And different actors have used those techniques. What's the point of those techniques when it comes to acting? What's the point? To get better. Yeah, to improve. What else? What's the point of acting techniques? To convince. That's it. It's to be the best you possibly can at pretending. That is precisely what the Pharisees were doing. How do we know that? The word hypocrite, Jesus calls these guys hypocrites in this passage. He calls the Pharisees, he says, beware of being like the hypocrites. That word in the Greek can be translated actors. So Jesus is saying, beware of the actors. Beware of these people, men and women, who have become experts with using their technique to look like they're spiritual and religious and they love God. But in fact, what is Jesus saying? It's a ruse. It's a show. It's a sham. And they're using prayer as this technique. What, what technique, what are you trying to get for yourself if you pray really well in public? Honor. What's that? Honor. Honor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To be in a church building, it says Jesus says, they stand up and they pray, the, these, these actors, they stand up and they pray in the synagogues. And they stand on street corners and they do their prayers before others so that they'll see them. So that other people will go, wow, that's amazing. Look at how well you can pray. Look at the, the flow of your words. Look at that technique. That guy's good. That guy's good. But the problem, according to Jesus, is Jesus says, danger, warning, Watch out, avoid this. Avoid that. Because in that moment, when somebody is standing, and they're, and they're praying very eloquently before others, they are wanting what we all want, to feel better than other people. We all want it. I mean, if we're perfectly honest. We want to feel superior to someone. 
And religion can be used very potently and effectively for this reason. We've all been there at points, if, if we're honest. I've been there. We can use the, 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 the way we act, the way we look religious to be like, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm better than those people. And prayer can even be used this way. I think Jesus would say danger. He wouldn't maybe cancel it, but I think Jesus would say danger about the national prayer breakfast. I think Jesus would say danger about see you at the poll. Again, I'm not saying these are bad things, okay? Don't hear me wrong. But he would just say, beware, be careful. Because your tendency as a human being is going to be go to these events and pray and feel awesome about yourself and watch the people walking by and go, ha, they did not show up at the poll like I did. They aren't praying like I am. I've got to figure it out, Lord. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and he's saying to us, no, no, that is not prayer. That is not prayer. The opposite is supposed to happen in prayer. As we come before our Father, we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to see that we have nothing, that we're children before our Father. That he knows what we need even before we ask. That we're, we come helpless to him. And we receive a relationship with him. That is the danger of using prayer as a technique to get others look at you well. To, to, I mean, I, I, I've done this. Lots of people, I'm a pastor, right? People often will say, can you pray, right, before a wedding or before a big meal or at a festival? And something, and I'm like, yeah, I got you. I got you. I'm kind of a professional prayer. Yeah. And, and a lot of other people, here's, here's what's interesting. I will ask, I often ask when I go to lunch with someone or I go to one of these events, I ask someone else to pray. Because I'm like, look, you don't, prayer is not a professional thing. You got to get that message across. This isn't a technique. I didn't learn some special way to pray to God. It's just talking to God. It can be in an absolutely broken English way and it is just as effective as an eloquent, in fact, according to Jesus, maybe even a little more effective. So that's the first thing prayer is not, Jesus teaches. He says, it is not a technique that you can use to feel better about yourself. So be careful, he says, when you go out in public and you pray before a meal, it may be fine. Your Your motives may be totally pure when you pray before a meal at a restaurant. And you may just be wanting to commune with God the Heavenly Father. But be careful. Watch yourself that you're not praying because you want the tables next to you to notice that you're praying and that you might be slightly better than them. And that they need to come and find out about real life from you. Again, um, this, is not, this is not saying don't do evangelism. Absolutely do evangelism. Reach out to others. Serve. Give. But be careful, says Jesus, about prayer in public. Second thing that prayer is not. Number one, it is not a technique. Number two, he says, don't be like the Gentiles who babble. They, they're babbling prayers. You know what that means? Does anybody have any idea what that means? Blah, 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 blah. That's what I think of when I think of babbling, right? Blah, 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 blah. But it was more than that. Thank you. Thank you. 
But it was more than that for these Gentiles. It would be. (laughs) 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 Yeah, tough. Yeah, yeah. It's not tough. Not tough. What they would do though is they'd have these really long lists of Gentiles, and they would have all the different gods they knew about listed on this particular list, and they would run through it as quickly as they could, hoping that they would strike the right god to pray to, so for that day they would get what they wanted. Right, I'm going through, you know, all these. I mean, they had a whole slew of gods that they would pray to. That's one version of it. There's actually another version too, where there was the sense in which if you just said these particular phrases over and over enough times, again, the magic would happen. Right? It's you know, it's like a movie, you know, where they're like, you know, what's the password? What's the magic password? You know, sesame or whatever it is. Open, and then it, you know, the treasure opens. Same thing. If I repeat phrases enough times, the treasure might be open for me. There. At that point, it is a tool. Now, why, according to Jesus, is this so bad? Why, why is it bad for us to want to use prayer as a tool? Because I often do, I'll be honest with you. I often think of prayer not as a tool like a screwdriver, but as a tool like glue, for instance. You know, I'll be like, okay, my life's kind of falling apart. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, things are not good. Like, relationships are on the rocks. Things are breaking apart. Like, my house is broken. My air conditioner's broken. My car's broken. My heart is broken. Like, okay, that's, it's time to pray. <laughs> Everything led up to this point was like, you know, the Lord is awesome and all that, but I really need some of that. I need some glue on all this brokenness. But how do I know, as Jesus is saying here, that he has not, God has not put the brokenness in my life for to teach me something and to draw me closer to himself and to put me right in the right particular point of relationship that he wants me at that time. I like prayer as a tool. I'm just going to be honest. I, I have, church planting has made me even more of a babbler. Um, because there's all these extra worries that go along church planting alone. You know, did I did I make enough phone calls? Did I did I go out and meet enough people? Did I like did I ask enough people? Did I gather enough people? Did I meet enough people? Did I like you know did we get everything together? Did we have enough food? Did we have enough? Is this good? Is that good? Is this clean? Is that and and so I'm constantly just babbling prayers like Lord help me, Lord help me, Lord help me. You know, it's just Lord please oh my goodness, Lord please bring me one more. Please please do this. Please ah oh, I need you. I need you. To do and so it's this. It's, it can easily get into that of like prayer is my tool to get what I think I need or want. James puts it this way, uh, book of the Bible, near the end of the New Testament. James says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passenger passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I'm guilty of it. I don't know where y'all are at, but I've used prayer as a tool a lot. I've used God like a slot machine, like Santa, and those types of prayers. I remember talking with a woman on an airplane one time, and she was coming back from this conference, and she was saying that it was a conference on powerful prayer. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. You know, and I said, I'm a pastor. Uh, So she decided she's going to share everything with me. Great. Love to hear it. 
And this conference on, pa on powerful prayer, she had gone to because she had cancer. And she wanted to be healed, of course, like anybody with cancer would want. And so at this conference, she said, I learned that if I just have enough faith, and then I pray, I'll be healed. And again, faith is a good thing. Prayer is a good thing. But the idea that I can squeeze out of God what I think I want because I use a technique or a tool is, is Jesus, Jesus is saying that's not prayer. Now the Father is good and he may give us some really good things and he often has it in his will to heal people. Praise the Lord. I pray that people will be healed all the time. All the time. But it's still not a tool that I can just twist and say, God, this is what I want. Now give it to me. That's not prayer. So what is prayer? We must end with that. What is prayer? Prayer is, as defined by Jesus, talking with our Father. Super simple to begin with. We'll just hit this first part. Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven. In other words, our heavenly Father. Think about, let's press in on that for just a moment. What does it mean to talk? What is it like to talk with your Father? It's all about vital connection. Mm -hmm. Now, you also don't have to have a perfect earthly Father to understand what it means to commune with and to talk with your Heavenly Father. Why do I say that? I say that because even if you had a really bad dad on this earth, you know what a good dad is like. You know in your heart what an awesome father is like because it's hardwired into us. And yes, you're going to carry some of the scars from your own earthly father into this relationship. But, thankfully, the Bible corrects. I remember when I was in high school, I got arrested. I know, it was bad. I was in trouble. And, uh, sort of shoplifting. And I, we, my friend and I, my, one of my good friends and I, were able to hide it for a really long time. Several months, in fact. And it was torture. Because mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is good, I'm going to hide this. You know, I was 18, and so, which is why I got arrested in the first place. You're 17, you're supposed to go. Um, but they, you know, I was in a fully, I was fully an adult, and I know it's not true justice, but nonetheless, we man, my friend and I managed to like go to all. We would just tell our parents that we were like out at like a baseball game or something when we were doing our community service because uh, we had to do community service. So I was able to hold this ruse together for like several months, but it was torture, torture. I couldn't sleep at night because I felt so horribly guilty and ashamed of what I'd done. So finally, my friend got busted. And his, and his mom was calling my mom that afternoon because she found this receipt in his pocket. We're done. So I'm like, might as well just go ahead and you know, rip the band-aid off now. So I go up to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I gotta tell you something. You know, he's like, what? I said, something happened. I, I got in trouble with the law. I got arrested. And his response was, not my son. Not my son. And he turned around, walked away. That was tough. That was tough. 
But thankfully, as I've been able to dig into Scripture, I was able to see in the New Testament stories like the prodigal son. And I know that even when I sin, even if it's the deepest, darkest thing, I know that he is always standing there at the end of the driveway. And he's got a ring in his hand, and he's got a robe he's ready to put on me, and he has got a feast he's going to throw me. Because that's the kind of father in heaven that we have. He's always there. He doesn't say, not my son, and turn around. Okay, second fact about the fact that our heavenly father is who we pray to. Second fact. You were a child. <laughs> Sorry. Alert. Uh, it's tough to admit, right? We don't like this part of the fact that he is our heavenly father. That all of us, doesn't matter what age we are, we're his children. And so what that means is that we honestly, think about your kids. Or I can, I'll use my example. Lyndon would be happy to stick her hand into the toaster. And I have to go over there and be like, Poosh, swat her hand away and be like, no, stop that. <laughs> but she really wants to stick her hand in the toaster while it's plugged in. I can't let her do it. Even though she wants to do it, there are a lot of things we think we need, we think we want, and God says, I'm so sorry. This is not going to be good. Um, and to be able to be humble enough and submissive enough before God to pray, Lord, these are some of the things I think I want, but you know, you, you are good, and you have good things planned for me and in store for me, and I want the best for you. Let's just hang out. Let's just be together because you're my heavenly father. That's the relational side of this. About to wrap up. In prayer, yes, you're changing the world. We pray for other people's hearts. We pray for real change. We pray for healing. We pray for all kinds. We ask for God, from God all kinds of things. But most importantly, and this is what Jesus loves to get out in the Sermon on the Mount, he loves to go straight for the heart. Jesus says, in prayer, you are being changed. You're being changed. That's one of the most important parts of prayer. It's really important for us as we think about mission. The church is on mission for God. To go reach out. To go, to go bring the gospel to others. But you cannot do mission unless you've been in that prayer closet with the door shut with your father. Because what you end up, what I end up doing, and I've done this by the way, what you end up doing is leaving your house if you haven't been in the prayer closet with your father, needy. And so other people are a way to get what you need. If you haven't first found that deep, that depth of your needs met by your heavenly father who loves you, who wants to be with you, who will never leave you, who just wants to talk, and you begin to get some of those real needs met. What you end up doing when you leave that place and you go out to go talk to others, to go relate to others, is you gift them. You have something to give instead of something to take. It's a really important part of our time with God. And so I end with this, because it's heavy. This is heavy stuff. When Jesus corrects and Jesus teaches 
it can be really intense and really convicting. And that's okay. But let's end with the fact that we know, I know, we'll fail at prayer. If I, I'm going to do a poll. If I did the poll right now and asked everybody in this room, it's like, how many of you feel like you're not praying as much as you should? I think I know the answer. Because it's true, it's true for me. So we fail at prayer. But we have to remember three different passages in the New Testament. And these are the three passages that use the word Abba, which is the Aramaic for Daddy. The first passage is in Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, we, this is our conclusion. So if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 8. Start with verse 14. This is a reminder to all of us who don't do perfect at prayer. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are sons and daughters of his Father. And even when we think we can't pray, the Spirit gives us the words. Next, quick peek. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to read it fast. Mark chapter 14. This is Jesus, and he's praying in the garden. And he's, it says, Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him so that he wouldn't have to die on the cross. And he said, Abba, in other words, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is just one example of where Jesus does not fail in prayer. And his perfect record of righteousness through the gospel is given to us. You have this record of prayer that is real. You have the spirit of Christ within you if you are a believer. And so you can say, I, the Father, sees me as having prayed this prayer if Jesus is within you. And lastly, one more beautiful passage in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Leave here reminded of your daughtership and your sonship before the great Father in heaven. He loves you with a love that is can't even be matched by our human love, the way we love our sons and daughters and the way we've been loved by our family as a son or a daughter. Rest in that today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, Jesus, thank you that you, that you teach us about prayer. Lord, I get it wrong. I know some of the other folks in here probably at times get it wrong, Lord. We, we use prayer. We, we use it as a leverage, as a tool 
to get something from you, Lord. But all along, Lord, the one thing that we truly need is you. The one thing that's going to truly satisfy our hearts is you. And you've invited us into a relationship where we can at any time commune with you, relate with you, talk with you, hear from you. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for the privilege that prayer can be all the time, anytime, anywhere. Because you promise we are never alone. Even when we feel painfully lonely, you have not left us. And you promise to speak with and to us. We pray this morning, we pray this week, we pray this hour that you would speak, Lord. That you would draw us back to yourself. That you would bring us back into that, that fellowship that satisfies our souls. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we get a chance in our in our service this morning to be reminded about um, communion. If you think about it.